0: Everyone's telling you to let go of what you're holding to. It's too late, too far. Too small, it's too
1: hard. Throwing water on that spark. Living deep inside your heart. Those shades freezing. Things you're not seeing, but oh.
2: morning. While people are still coming in, uh, because the Trudells are going to be in a Sunday school class right now, we sneak their spot and their visit with us right now. So I hope you can pay attention and hear them. Uh, For those of us who have been around Houghton Church, we've been supporting this young couple for many years, and I think I embarrass them by telling how many years uh, uh, last service, so I won't mention how many years. They work with SIL and Wycliffe Bible Translators. They've worked in Peru for a short time and then a long career now in Africa as leadership team in many ways, and they're going to give us a greeting now. It's Joel and Barbara Trudell, Houghton graduates from the dark ages of the 1980s and... um, uh, Darker. We're so happy to have them here because we support them and we don't see them very often. Let's welcome them.
3: Thank you. And we won't say how many years, only that probably two lifetimes ago, we like to sit right there. So uh, we are we are Houghton grads of, of a, a few years ago. So I want to talk to you about our work uh, just a little bit. Our work with uh, Wycliffe Bible Translators and it's Field's... Partner, uh, SIL International. We know that uh, Bible translation is still central to the work of the church worldwide. It's central to the work of Wycliffe and SIL. But increasingly, we're also seeing uh, that it's important to be engaging and collaborating with um, other agencies, with churches, with governments, with the community organizations themselves to build a supportive environment for the use of the language that is being translated uh, the scriptures are being translated in and what this means is people who can read and write yes, read and write in their own language because they understand that language but also it means um, policy and practice uh, in the churches and also in society that will allow these people to use their language for education for spiritual growth and for the strengthening of the church. And um, you're going to miss it because we're going down right now to talk about these things a little further at the Kaleidoscope Sunday School class. But i uh, be happy to talk with you individually after, after church, if you would so desire.
4: You know, you don't just
3: get out of bed one day and think,
4: hmm, I think I'll go into Bible translation.
3: It's, uh, it's a process. It's something that um, it helps to grow up in a church,
4: that uh, values scripture, that values missions. Uh, for us, the process, um, the experience of, of considering Bible translation happened in this church. We were members of uh, the Wesleyan Church here, and we went through that experience, and we got people to support us. They, they uh, prayed for us. They gave us a sense that this is part of what God was calling us to do, and so... We really appreciate that because over the years you have continued to support us and continued to pray for us, and it means just as much now as it did back then. So thank you.
1: Please stand and join us as we continue in worship together. Just like a tree that grows by the water Let the strong winds blow, I will not move Just like a child secure in the love of a father never change. When all is sinking sand, you strong foundation. Everything else will fade, but you remain. In every situation, no room fear and doubt. No matter what. To repentance, your goodness draws us to your side, your mercy calls us to be like you, your faith. gentle shepherd Through darkness you will be our light awe of your goodness to us, goodness and love that we know we don't deserve, but that you pour out over us. Thank you that even though we know we are not worthy of you, through your son, Jesus, you have counted us as worthy. You lavish your love over our lives, and you help us to love each other. Thank you, God. Amen. Let's sing that once more. You are God. You are God. You are God, and your Communion with the living God Is what I'm longing for His presence is more priceless than all things And at my broken heart He stands knocking at the door I let Him in and see Almighty Jesus, rock of salvation, when all else is shifting sand, it's on you.
0: Our scripture reading from this morning comes from the book of Amos, selected chapters, um, selected verses from chapters 1 to 5 and 9. This is the word of the Lord. Let's give careful attention to the reading of it. The words, the words of Amos, one of the shepherds of Tekoa. the vision he saw concerning Israel two years before the earthquake, when Uzziah was king of Judah, and Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, was king of Israel. He said, The Lord roars from Zion and thunders from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds dry up, and the top of Carmel withers. This is what the Lord says, For three sins of Israel, even for four, I will not relent. They sell the innocent for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. They trample on the heads of the poor, as on the dust of the ground, and deny justice to the oppressed. Father and son use the same girl, and so profane my holy name. They lie down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge. In the house of their God, they drink wine taken as fines. This is what the Lord says to Israel. Seek me and live. Seek good and not evil, that you may live. Then the Lord God Almighty will be with you, just as you say he is. Hate evil, love good, maintain justice in the courts. Perhaps the Lord God Almighty will have mercy on the remnant of Joseph. In that day, I will restore David's fallen shelter. I will repair its broken walls and restore its ruins, and will rebuild it as it used to be, so that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations that bear my name, declares the Lord, who will do these things. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman and the planter by the one treading grapes. New wine will drip from the mountains and flow from all the hills, and I will bring my people Israel back from exile." They will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will plant vineyards and drink their wine. They will make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant Israel in their own land, never again to be uprooted from the land I have given them, says the Lord your God. The word of the Lord.
4: As we uh, gather for worship today, I want to mention that uh, in the last... Uh, ten days or so we've had a couple of new additions to our, our church family uh, Brooks Daniel Ogden was born to Luke and Hannah And uh, then also on Thursday uh, Daria Louise Newborough was born to Bill John and Julia We rejoice uh, with these families in uh, these new births and pray God's richest blessings upon the families and the children Let me invite you to take a moment and stand and share a word of greeting with the others who are here in worship today I kind of hate to admit this because I know it's going to surprise you and disappoint you, but I um, I struggle with being selfish. It comes out in a variety of ways. It comes out you know, at home. It comes out in uh, relationships. It comes out in all kinds of ways. And I know that surprises you because I'm sure you don't struggle with being selfish like I do. It's it's the thing about being human, isn't it? I mean, it's our struggle as human beings that we, we wrestle with being selfish. We, we manipulate things to, to get what we want. We sometimes use people to get what we want. We, you know, we throw adult temper tantrums sometimes to get what we want. We wrestle with being selfish. And one of the ways that it comes out in our lives and, and in our existence as people of God, is how we, how we think about all of the the evil and, and brokenness and the consequences of evil and sin in our world. There are times where we can see this stuff, we read about this stuff, we, we think about these things, and quite frankly, there are times where I am so self-absorbed that I really don't pay that much attention. And maybe you struggle with that too. If you're honest, if I'm honest, it comes down to the fact that maybe I don't really care all that much about people's pain and brokenness and what evil and the consequences of evil do in people's lives. But what we find when we come to the scriptures, and specifically this morning, the book of Amos, is that it is very clear when you read this book, and we just read snippets of it, but it's very clear that God cares. And the burdens, uh, evil, the consequences of evil, all the pain of the world, God cares deeply about it. And in fact, he cares so much that he puts his finger on a man named Amos who's living down in one of the cities of Judah and says, I want you to go be my prophet. I want you to go to Israel, and I, and I have some things that I want you to say. Amos is, is a shepherd. He's not a professional prophet. He doesn't have training in being a prophet. He hasn't gone to prophet school. He doesn't have a degree on his wall that says he's a licensed prophet. He, he just is a shepherd. And, and God says, but Amos, I know you love me, I know you care about me, and I want to use you to speak some things to people. And so Amos, who lives in Judah, goes to the country of Israel. If you think, look back at the history of the nation of Israel, after David comes his son Solomon. And after Solomon, the nation divides, and northern tribes secede from the southern tribes because of the sinfulness and, and because of the disagreement that they're having with each other. And they become two nations, Israel and Judah. And they, throughout their history, they are typically at odds with each other. And here is a prophet from Judah coming to, the, coming to the nation of Israel with a word from God. I was trying to think of something that might equate that, that we could connect to. You think back to our country's civil war. Someone from the north going to the south and speaking a word to them. Or perhaps even now... Um, a Republican coming to the Democratic National Convention and speaking a prophetic word to them, or a Democrat going to the Republican National Convention and speaking a word to them, it, it, it's sort of an oil and vinegar kind of thing. It, it, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's, it's not easy to do that. But here is Amos proclaiming the word of God. Now, Amos is smart because he begins his prophecy not talking to Israel, but talking to all the nations around Israel. And God's judgment on them, Edom, Moab, Ammon, Tyre, Sidon, Philistia, Syria, all of these nations around Israel. He is declaring God's judgment on them. Even on Judah, he has something to say, God's judgment. And all the while, you can hear the people of Israel saying, this is my kind of prophet. That's right. These people are terrible. They're bad. I'm I'm glad God recognizes that. It's about time somebody spoke some judgment against these people. And then he turns it around and says, now God has something to say to you, Israel. And the whole rest of the prophecy is, to, is about Israel. What's interesting is, as you look at this, what, what he says to the nations around him, all the judgment is because they commit heinous crimes that, quite frankly, almost anyone would say that's bad. But to Israel, he holds them to a higher standard. His problem with Israel is not that they have committed heinous crimes. The problem with Israel is they are committing injustice and ignoring injustice. And God cares about that, even if Israel doesn't. They are taking they're they're giving bribes to judges so they can get what they want. They are oppressing people they're putting people into, selling people into slavery. They're making people debtors because they owe a minimal amount of money. They are taking, they're taking clothes from people who don't have any to begin, have little to begin with. On and on it goes as they take advantage of the vulnerable, the poor, the needy, the helpless, the weak. And, and there is in Israel this environment of prosperity An environment of comfort and ease. Life is good for a certain section of the population. And it's good for them. They are prosperous and living in comfort and ease because they have taken advantage of all these other people. And they don't care. What concerns me as I read this prophecy is that I think when scriptures in the Old Testament talk about God's people, I think the parallel to that now would be the church. And when I think about the church living in comfort and ease and prosperity, it's hard for me to imagine a a place in the world where the church lives like that more than here in our country. Every week we pray for the persecuted church and And we pray for the and and you'll notice that almost every instance, if not every instance, is in some other place of the world, because while we may feel sometimes the squeeze of culture, we the church is prosperous, and we're comfortable, and we have a life of ease, and the question that God presents to us is when we look at what's happening around the world, what's happening right around us, and we see all of the brokenness and the pain and the evil and the consequences of evil, do we care? Prophecies are always a warning. This prophecy takes place about, about 30 years before Israel is is obliterated by the nation of Assyria in 722 B.C. In, in, in prophecies are given. God sends a prophet as a means of warning people. And these prophecies are given so the people will wake up and they will realize what they are doing or not doing and turn and change their ways. And this one is no different. But there aren't a lot of words in here about how they are to respond. Most of the prophecy is... This is what you're doing, and this is why, what God's going to do about it. But when you get to chapter 5, uh, Amos says, The word of the Lord is, Seek me and live. Seek good, not evil, so that you may live. The Lord will be with you, just as he says he is. Hate evil, love good, maintain justice in the courts. And maybe the Lord will have mercy on you, and he will relent of this judgment that he's warning you about. Seek God. That is the call. That's, the, that's what God is asking of his people, to seek him. This, this idea of seeking God is, is seen throughout the scriptures. And In fact, when David is turning the reins of the kingdom over to his son Solomon, one of the things he says to him is, make sure you seek God and God will bless you. But if you reject God, you will face consequences of that. And the seeking God is really the hinge point for Solomon It's the hinge point for Israel. It's the hinge point for us. When I think about seeking God, it could be interpreted as, God, where are you? Like you're in a pool playing Marco Polo or something. You know, you're seeking around God, 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 nowhere to be found. That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is this yearning, this desire in us to want God. Because we spend so much of our lives living so selfishly that, quite frankly, seldom would anyone think we want God. To seek God it is like that moment when you realize you have lost something valuable. A piece of jewelry. That, um, that note from class that is, sort of tells you everything you need to know and you can't find it. Even that file on your computer that you knew was there and now it's nowhere to be found. You thought where you saved it. And, and, and you do everything possible to find it. If you're looking on the computer, you're searching through every file you possibly can. You take it to someone and say, look, I'll pay you to find that file. And you tear up your house and you, you think things out of every drawer and you're dro- pulling things out of the closet. You're looking for that piece of jewelry. You're looking for that wad of cash that you saw the other day and you hid it. Now you can't remember where you put it. You're looking under the bed. You're cleaning out the car. And in, under the car you find all kinds of other things that you've stuffed under there. But you're not, you don't find what you want. Seeking God is living our lives like that. Yearning, wanting, Doing everything possible because God is so important to us, so valuable to us, and this is the call on our lives. And it begins this this call of God begins with seeking God. In the in, Scripture talks about uses this word. Our tradition uses this word. It's really talking about holiness. It's because holiness is to be like. Christ. It is to want to be like Christ. That desire of our hearts, that yearning for God. Holiness sometimes confuses us, frightens us. When I was growing up, we talked a lot about holiness, but my mind always connected it to rules. To laws, to strictness and narrowness. And it it seemed to me that it was all about things like the kind of clothes you can wear or you can't wear. Or the places you go or you don't go. But when you read the scripture, to be holy is to be like Jesus. And to be like Jesus means that we embrace love as the purest revelation of who God is. That all of our life is wrapped up in love. John Wesley said, if you you want to know what I mean by by holiness, it's summed up this way. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Everything comes back to that. It's about embracing love. You you see this in the prophets. Uh, There scholars debate why the prophets are put together the way they are, these 12 minor prophets. Originally, they were all one scroll, and they were called the Twelve. But no one knows exactly why they're placed in the order they're placed in. They're not, they're not in a chronological order. They're not in, in an order of the largest to the smallest or the smallest to the largest. But they're, they're placed in order, and it seems random. But I don't think anything in Scripture is ever random. I think they're building on each other. I think they're connected to each other. And you see it here, because the theme of Hosea is that God loves us so much, He pursues us everywhere, all the time, wherever we are, whatever we're doing. God will never stop pursuing us. And in Joel... In in the midst of all these words about locusts and plagues and and what God is going to bring His judgment, Joel says, he quotes God's self-declaration to Moses in Exodus 34, I am compassionate and slow to anger and loving and merciful, and I relent from sending calamity. This is who God is. The Apostle John picks up this theme in his first letter and he says, dear friends, let us love one another because love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. And whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And, and when to seek God, to want holiness, is to embrace love as the definition, the revelation of who God is. Everything about God flows out of his being, that is love. And that's the call on us. And in the context of injustice and the things that Amos is talking about, and the, and the struggle of evil. And the consequences of evil and sin in this world. To practice. To live holy love. Is to lament. Is to lament the pain. And the agony that people in this world. Live with. Even when it doesn't have anything to do with us. I mean. I. We tend to get upset about things in the world, the brokenness and pain and evil. We tend to get upset about those things when it's somehow connected to us. But the kind of love that we see in Jesus is goes beyond that. It is compassion and it's lamenting and, and yearning and feeling the pain and agony that people are experiencing even when it doesn't have anything to do with us. Even when there's no connection to us. In chapter 7, Amos has a vision, two visions from God. And the first vision is about locusts. Something God loves locusts. I don't know what that is, but he keeps coming back to locusts. But the locusts come and he has this vision of the locusts coming and just destroying the land. And the next vision is fire. And this ball of fire comes and destroys Israel. And what is Amos's response in both times? He says, O oh Lord please don't do this because Israel is so small and we can't survive. Amos is not from Israel. It's not going to really affect him. He's going back to Judah, but he has such a passion for the people of Israel and the hurt and the pain that they are struggling with. And he doesn't want to see them, uh, see them experience this judgment. And so he says, God, please don't do that. It's that kind of spirit. It's that kind of mindset about the hurt and the pain that other people are experiencing that, quite frankly, doesn't have any bearing on us, that, that reveals our heart of love like Christ. Last week we prayed for, uh, in, our, in our prayer for the persecuted church, we prayed for the Christians in, um, in Bangladesh And they've gone through a lot of opposition, a lot of persecution, a lot of difficulties there. But the prayer request was for the refugees who were fleeing Myanmar into Bangladesh, right where these Christians primarily live. And the prayer was that God would give these Christians the ability to love these refugees and to help them and to care for them because these refugees are all Muslims. And the church there wants to treat these Muslims who are a part of the wider culture that's persecuted the Christians. They want to treat them the way Jesus would. They want to love them and help them and care for them and show them the love of Christ. The most natural thing in the world would be for them to step back and say, now you see how it feels. Now you see what we've been going through. How do you like that now? But they don't. They're praying for God to give them hearts of compassion and love for these people who are facing these difficulties. And that's the call on us. There are lots of things that happen in this world, lots of pain and injustice in the world that has nothing to do with us. We don't, I would guess that probably none of us have ever sold someone into slavery. We've probably never bribed a judge. We've probably never stolen things from homeless people. And that's good. But it's not enough. What God is calling us to is to wake up from our passive tolerance of injustice and to care, to love, to get involved, to risk, because love is always about risk. You cannot love without taking a risk. Love is risk-taking. It is why God is the great risk-taker, because He loves. And it's why He calls us to be risk-takers, because He wants us to love. And we care. And we get involved. And we stretch our boundaries. I think one of the reasons we struggle... To care. One of the reasons we struggle to lament the pain of the world is because when we begin to lament the pain of the world and we feel what people are going through and we take on their pain and their agony and, and, and we weep over it, it's hard because, quite frankly, the need is so great, it's overwhelming. You look at the news and you just can't quite fathom anymore. We are so inundated with all of the pain and the injustice and the problems of this world in our country and in other countries of the world. And it becomes so much we just say, I don't want to hear anymore. I can't take it. And I think we do that because there's something in us that says, if I see a need, I have to meet every need. And God's not asking us to meet every need. He's just asking us to meet the needs that are right in front of us, whether those needs are, whether they they initiate or initiated in our community, in our county, or around the world. God is simply calling us to care, to lament, to feel the pain that people feel, and then to walk as he leads us, to be willing, to be open, and to acknowledge and to lament not just the pain that other people feel and the, and the agony of evil and the consequences of evil in this world. But also to acknowledge either our, typically our passive tolerance of that injustice. And to acknowledge that we have not cared that we have not participated, that we have not had the heart of Christ. When you get to the end of this prophecy, sort of this addendum on the end that all week I've been trying to figure out why that was there. It's this word of God that that we read of, of his blessing the land and bringing his people back from exile and and abundance in the land and restoring all that's been been broken and harmed. And he's going to bring back all... Restoration is the end of this word. And it feels out of place because all the rest of it's been judgment. But it begins by saying, in that day, God will do this. And I think that's the key. What Amos is saying is, on that day... This is what God is going to do. On that day, God is going to usher in the kingdom in all of its glory. When Jesus appears, all that he has promised is going to happen. And God is going to to bring to fruition. He's going to bring everything to right. He's going to bring everything to fruition as he intended it in creation from the beginning. Abundance, life, flourishing for all people. And it's because of that day that we live as God calls us this day. We get the privilege of being agents of God's hope and grace and love and mercy and justice in a world that is continually opposed to that. We get, to, we get to be agents of God's healing. We get to be agents of helping people see who he is. Because ultimately, the reason why God is so upset with Israel and why he gets so upset with the church is because we represent him. And people look at the church and say, oh, that must be what God is like. That's what God cares about. That's what's important to God. And when all people see is selfishness, they're going to think God is selfish. Why would they want to follow that God? Our calling and our privilege is to be agents of change, agents of hope, agents of love who help people see who God is. That God loves them and cares for them. And he is all about healing and restoration and hope. And that's his calling on our lives. Proverbs 14.31 says, Those who oppress the poor insult their maker. But those who help the needy honor God. Those who oppress the poor insult their Maker. But those who help the needy honor God. It begins with lament, it begins with a willingness. To look on the burden, the pain, the evil, its consequences of this world. And to feel what God feels. Asking God to break our hearts with the things that break his. It seemed to me that this morning it would be, it would be appropriate for us to, to have our prayer time now. And to spend a few moments of silence lamenting our sin, our apathy, and lamenting the burdens and the pains of the world and asking God to change us and to make us people who care when we are tempted to not care. As we pray, if you want to come and kneel at the altar rail, you're welcome to do that. You may want to kneel at your seat. You can sit there. Whatever you'd like to do, let's, let's open our hearts to God in confession and in the spirit of letting him speak into us. If you want to come here and pray or kneel, I invite you to do so now. Father, hear our prayers of confession, of lament. Father, we thank you that you care and thank you that you call us to be people who are agents of your caring heart. Forgive us for our apathy. Forgive us for our selfishness. Set us free to see that you are enough that we can give ourselves away in love and compassion as You've given Yourself to us. We pray, Father, for the burdens and the needs of this world today. We pray for the Christians in Central Africa Republic who have gone through so much suffering. Give them strength. Help them to know we love them. We support them. We're behind them. We care for them. We pray for Bar, Barb and Joel Trudell and, and their work with Wycliffe in Africa. And as they work with literacy to, to help people understand your your grace to them and your word and, and and just the society in general, we pray that you would pour out your spirit on them of strength that they need to complete the tasks that you put before them. We pray, Father, for for our nation at a time when we feel so divided. We pray, Father, that you will help us to love and to care. Lord, when we hear people crying out about injustice and pain, Lord, instead of judgment... Fill our hearts with compassion. Help us to lament with them the pain that they feel. And make us open to be used how you might want to. To help bring about relief and your love. Father, we pray for the pain that comes to us in other ways through grief and through illness and sickness and our relational pain and and just decisions about the future. We pray, Father, that you will give to us grace in all that we are and in all that we do, that we might continually live in openness to you through Christ. Father, we thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for this great privilege of being your agents of hope and healing of love and justice. And we pray with Amos that that justice will roll down like water and righteousness like a never-ending stream through your grace at work in your people. We pray this through Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, the one who gave himself for us. Amen.
1: I'd like to invite our ushers forward as we give back from all that God has given to us.
0: All I once held dear Built my life upon All this world reveres And wars to all All I once thought gain I have counted loss Spent and worthless now